Every week on our regular episodes of Shift Shift Bloom, I get to interview people whose lives are very different from mine. And we talk about how each has navigated the twists and turns inherent in transformation. But I wonder, what's universal about how people change? What are the common threads, the connective tissue? I tend to look at change through the lens of my own experience, for the most part, the artist's life. Lucky for us, my curiosity is shared by the co-creator of Shift Shift Bloom, Dr. John Lyons, luminary and author in the field of clinical psychology and systems change. Who better to help me unpack all the questions that fill my mind when the interviews are over? I'm Kristen Sorelli, and you're listening to Shift Shift Bloom, TCOM Takeaways, my conversation with Dr. John Lyons about a recent interview. Welcome back, John. Well, thank you, Kristen. Uh, Thank you for agreeing to do the special bonus feature for our listeners. Today, we're going to fly back over my interview with Jordan Constantine and get your perspective on his story. So I want to start with what surprised you about what Jordan had to share? Yeah, I think that that's an interesting question. And let me just start by saying what an incredible person Jordan is. I mean, so very thoughtful and compassionate and intelligent. And I really enjoyed hearing his insightful perceptions on his uh, life journey. I think probably the thing that surprised me most, I, I had three basic takeaways from the, um, from the, uh, your interview with him. And I think the mo- one that was most surprising to me was, did he really change? Or did he actually recognize who he was and then do a bunch of rearranging of his life to fit who he saw himself as being? And is that, I mean, I, I suspect that's changed for a lot of people. I, I think that it, it, as we talk to more and more people, I wonder how often that's really what happens when people change is that they actually come to understand who they want to be, who they see themselves as are, and then work to make their life fit that. And so he's not really changing who he is. He's actually becoming who he chooses to be. So I thought that was really interesting in, in listening to his story. Yeah, there's that's fascinating. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're the you're the psychologist. <laughs> you're the you're you're the expert in this field. But I remember when I was doing some actor training in Michael Chekhov technique, and that's a very psychophysical psychological technique, one of the things that Chekhov proposed was that by the time we're five years old, and I'm sure he got this from some scientific thinking, right? (laughs) By the time we're five years old, we're we're so formed and so much of the the forming of us is from these external forces and masking ourselves and that we're pretty much at that point, only about 5% authentic. Mm -hmm. And we probably do spend the rest of our lives trying to peel off those layers that are not who we truly, truly are underneath. So, yeah. um, Yeah, I thought that was a major theme of of Jordan's story, is that, okay, now that I've decided, I've, I've come to understand myself, how do I make my life congruent with that? 
Yeah, he was so articulate. I'm glad that you have brought that out too. It, it was so warming is the word that comes yeah. to mind to be in his presence. You can imagine how effective he is professionally. I mean, he's just a very, very skilled because he's compassionate and he's insightful. I'll tell you what surprised me most in listening back to our conversation was the themes of grief and loss Mm -hmm. and trauma and crisis, how much they kept coming up Mm -hmm. as maybe precipitating factors in the change. But this, I thought, hmm, maybe this is why we fear change so much as humans, because we know there's going to be conscious or not, we know there's going to be loss Mm -hmm. and grief involved in any sort of transformational experience. But I was very surprised when he spoke into those moments where unexpected grief hit him Mm -hmm. during the change process. Yeah, that's a very good observation. So and that may very well be a barrier that we all experience. We know that change is difficult and Figuring out the whys of that is, uh, is one of our challenges, I think, in this podcast. So, and you may be right that it's this knowing that it's going to hurt at some level, and it may hurt deeply, um, may be a factor. I also was struck by the importance of other people in the change process, and not always in a positive way. So I, I, I uh, thought back to one of the first life experience I had that really got me thinking about change from when I was a kid. My father was all, always struggled with his weight. And uh, see if he's like all of us that in our family, that we just put our weight in our stomach. And so he's, his stomach was getting bigger and bigger. And his, my mom was always on about that. And so we went to this local barber shop. Uh, a guy named Eddie owned it. It was just uh, within walking distance of our house. And we always went there. And one time my dad went to see, and it was Eddie is the name of the barber. We called him Eddie the barber. So when he came back from the barber shop, and what had happened is Eddie the barber had called him fat. And so immediately he went on a diet from that on, from then on. And actually, uh, so Eddie the barber, my mom was so mad because she's like, wait a minute, I've been on you about this for years. And it took Eddie the Barber before you started to actually take it seriously. So Eddie the Barber lived in infamy in our household, but at the same time, my dad lived until he was 92. So he did have an impact, although he wasn't popular for that. And I was struck by uh, Jordan bringing this up several times. There's other people in his life that were a little bit challenging and probably even inappropriate but at the same time, we're agents of change. And I'm thinking back to my other teachers that I value the most from grade school. And oftentimes they weren't the ones I liked. They're the ones that yes. challenged me. Um, so it's an interesting, the, the role of other is another interesting theme from his story. Yes. the I love your Eddie the Barber story. <laughs> that reminds me of a phrase that uh, Buddhist teachers use they, they call people like that irritating Buddhas, <laughs> irritating or, Buddhas. Yeah. or irritating teachers. And it's those people who really rub us the wrong way, who yeah. often are the ones who are able to get us to, if not change, at least recognize that something is off or we want something to be different in our lives. It's not the people who are maybe compassionate to us and loving and kind all the time who speak to us with, 
you know, gentleness that can help us along that path. Sometimes we need these irritating Buddhas in our lives because, yes. because it's like having an itch and you, you, you have to deal with it. It won't go away. That's, that's fascinating. So you said there were three things that stuck yes. out for you. So what's the third? The third was the fact that we all have some responsibility for creating cultures that support people's change. And that I, I was struck by that as I listened to Jordan's story, just the responsibility that we all have to create inclusive and supportive and, and accepting cultures. And we have a long way to go before we get to that kind of uh, culture, but how important, how potentially important it is to care about each other as opposed to rage at each other or criticize each other or bully each other or intimidate each other or have to be right in our relationship with each other. You know, all those kind of things get in the way of us being a tolerant, accepting uh, culture. And I think that actually makes it hard for some people to change because another thing to worry about is other people's reactions around that and so forth. Yeah, he really brought that forward for me. And he really helped me put a more, not just human face and whole experience on, I think, what I've encountered in the classroom, but he did it in such a mature, wise way where sometimes I think, rightly so, people who are fighting not only their own internal barriers to change, but cultural barriers to change can really come across with anger, with righteous anger and he is not that way. And so I think having that conversation with him really moved me in a way that even though I've been intellectually moved by like, let's say my students who have been going through transition or, or, or anything doesn't have to be a gender transition, but they're going through something that I might not have personal experience with. And so I might have my own set of biases around. He really moved things around in me where I thought, yeah, there's more we can all do. There's more we all should be doing. And also the simplicity with which he guided those suggestions. They're really simple things that he reminded us we could do to make spaces more inclusive, more welcoming, more nurturing for other people to be who they are and also to continue changing because he's not done. That was the other thing that kept coming up, that we're not done changing when we get to point B. We're going to change again, whether we maybe want to or not. Right. Yeah, his next change is accepting aging, which is not an easy, right? It's not an easy task. No, and we really do have part one, part two, part three with him, with his his massive Mm -hmm. weight loss, which could probably be its own episode as you and your dad and Eddie the barber know. Um, (laughs) He also talked about time and timing and how you grapple with those forces when you're trying to change. And I wonder if you could talk about time and timing as forces that you have to deal with when you're trying to create change in systems. Yeah, that's a really important thing because I think doing something at the wrong moment is oftentimes ends up pointless because it doesn't get any traction. So figuring out what the right timing is when people are ready to hear. So for instance, a lot of what we do is in response to lawsuits. So we go into a state that's being sued for their poor quality of care, so to speak. And 
that creates a crisis for them, which gives us an opportunity to say, hey, you know, the best way to get out from under a lawsuit is just learn how to be effective. And let's work together and try and create effective systems because your kids and families are going to be better off. The people you serve are going to be better off and you'll be better off and the lawsuit will go away. And we have now a track record to show that's, that's really true. So without that lawsuit, sometimes it's really, I mean, just going into a system and saying, hey, let's create a, a new a set of additional paperwork and bureaucracy so that we can make your system about the people you serve, you know, that may not get some traction because it's just more work. I mean, it's a pretty heavy lift. So timing is critical. I suspect that's also true in our lives that, uh, you know, you can hear something when you're seven and it doesn't have the same impact that it might have when you're 17. Um, and figuring out how do you match timing. I mean, therapists always talk about the timing of interventions and the timing of interpretations and the timing of when you give people feedback, which, you know, it's interesting because I think there's a complex relationship there for therapists because therapists need to be that irritating Buddha, uh, but they also need to pay their rent and uh, their kids' college tuition, so they want people to be happy and come back. But if you're responsible... You have to be that irritating Buddha because that's probably how change happens for lots of people. And so balancing those two competing pressures, I think, is really important in the lives of people who are change agents for people, who are paid change agents for people. That's fascinating. What did you learn about Jordan that you hadn't known before? I actually only knew Jordan professionally, so almost everything he talked about I did not know. Wow. So because... Because we, I mean, his entire experience with uh, the IF Center has been post-COVID. So I've actually never even met him in person, although I worked with him for a couple of years. Wow. So, so, yeah, I mean, I have literally nothing about him beyond the fact that he had an English accent. So. <laughs> Such a great accent. <laughs> yeah, it was a great accent. Was there one thing in particular or several things that he talked about that you thought, hmm, I'd like to borrow that next time? I'm facing a change. I think probably, if anything, uh, being accepting of the irritating Buddha and uh, thank them for it. And I also, the other thing I was touched by is his, his statement about being grateful for people who assist you and uh, to, to be figuring out how to understand that when people tell you their stories, that that's a gift, that that's something that is a treasure to them and you need to figure out how to treasure it yourself because they're giving you a gift. So I, I have to admit, you know, I, when I'm on a plane, I don't tell the person next to me that I'm a psychologist because they start sharing their stories and sometimes it's a little bit too much information and it makes me a little bit uncomfortable and, and it makes the plane ride a little challenging. That being said, you know, it gives me pause to think about how Jordan framed it is maybe I'm not being sufficiently compassionate in that moment that maybe it is my duty as a person, as particularly as a person who's trained a certain way to listen to those stories if it's helpful to that person. Hmm. I'm not sure I'll do it, but I think I, I do recognize that, wow, okay, I need to rethink how I feel about this. I think that's the first step, what you just said. I need to rethink how I feel about it, how I approach it, how I hold it. I might not actually change my behavior, but I can shift 
maybe even just the presence that I have when I'm sitting next to someone. I so resonate with that because I go Mm -hmm. into a please do not talk to me mode when I'm on an airplane. Uh, And mostly because I'm a nervous flyer, as you know, (laughs) I just, Uh, it takes all my energy to just get through the plane ride. But yeah, what is that? Why, why do I want to block someone's story? Especially if I hold myself as a, as an artist and a curious person in the world, why do, why would I want to be a barrier to someone speaking their truth to me or speaking something? Maybe that helps them deal with their anxiety while they're on the flight or Mm -hmm. pass the time Mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. I mean, I I will rethink that as a result of uh, listening to Jordan. I'm flying in a couple days, so maybe I'll give it a try and see my, my standard rule is I I will talk to people at landing because it it limits the uh, amount of time. But Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I, th- I think I should rethink that. I want to come back to where you started, which is, did he change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yes, it depends on how you define change, right? I mean, so he did a lot of fixing of his world, mm. uh, a lot. I mean, a huge amount of altering the world in which he lives. But I'm not sure... He changed. I think he changed his world, even his physical being, actually. So uh, that's a pretty significant, I don't know what the right metaphor is. I'm tempted to say landscaping, but that doesn't quite capture what I'm what I'm getting at. But yeah, you're making, a, he made a lot of changes in the way his life worked and who he looked like and how, you know, all those kinds of things. But I think he found himself, actually. Mm. So I'm not sure he wasn't always there in the same way. And it's just an evolution of kind of getting back to that place. So I don't know, maybe that's a, that's a change, right? That when you're blocked mm-hmm. from being who you want to be, maybe to get to who you are, that's a change, right? So, so it sort of yes. depends on how we decided to find change. I think he spoke about it and it resonated for me. The difference in his life now and his life then being his d- deep discomfort with who he was and now this sense of peace and wholeness with who he is. And so I think that is a change. And maybe that's just a change of his internal sense of himself. Mm-hmm. Sure, there are all these obvious physical changes. But yeah, it's an interesting collision or juxtaposition of two things, which is that it just seems like his essence has come out more and more and more. Huh. And in that coming out, he feels more whole and peaceful and I think happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so I happy. think he's actually quite happy. That's my sense of it. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you expect we'll find similar in other stories that we're going to hear this season? I don't know. I, I'm, kind of, I'm very curious to find out. But mm. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, these themes will repeat themselves. But I suspect mm. it's not always going to be the same. That they're that the different pathways people take to different kinds of changes are going to be pretty dramatically different. Uh, And whether there's new themes that emerge, I'm thinking there will be, but I don't know. I mean, I was very struck by Jordan's story. Yeah, and he was very quick and consistent to remind us that he's only speaking for himself. And even if we talk to someone else who's gone through gender transition, they would have a very different story or could have a very different story. So it will be interesting to see what is repeated and what is very different across the stories that we hear. I think the other thing that stuck out is how difficult it is to pinpoint exactly how you change. 
you know, to really pinpoint it, to, to say, oh, this is exactly what happened and this is what I did. And this, it's more of this kind of global thing shifting kind of uh, process. So I think the title Shift, Shift, Bloom <laughs> fits uh, what actually the way he talked about his story. So it'll be interesting to see if other people have, well, this happened and therefore I did that. Yeah, I suspect we won't get an answer, nor will we feel like we want one right. about how people change. But I think we will find a lot of inspiration in these stories mm. and be able to borrow from other people their successes and learn from their maybe missteps or struggles along the way. And I think that's got huge value. Agreed. That's why our journey together will be interesting. So I look mm. forward to uh, the next uh, the next story. Yes. Take care. Thanks, John. Shift Bloom is a co-production of TCOM Studios and Actually Quite Nice, engineered by Tim Fall, and hosted by me, Kristen Sorelli. Episodes are available wherever you download your podcasts and are made possible by listeners just like you. Please consider supporting our work by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash shift shift bloom. Shift Shift Bloom is made possible in part by the Prade Foundation, a nonprofit organization committed to improving the well-being of all through the use of personalized, timely interventions and provider of online training in the TCOM tools. TCOM is Transformational Collaborative Outcomes Management, a comprehensive framework for improving the effectiveness of helping systems through person-centered care. Online at pradefoundation.org and at tcomconversations.org. And by the Center for Innovation and Population Health at the University of Kentucky. Online at iph.uky.edu.